Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, January 24th. We are here live. It's time for the Power Hour. We're going to open the phone lines right now. If you have a question, a comment, a topic, anything that has to do with maintenance in any way, we'll take it. Pick up the phone and join us. They're open right now. 855-950-3835. We'll hear from the team from Pittsburgh Power, and then we will get to your calls and questions. Let's... uh, Let's just jump in and get started. Pete, good morning. Then it's oil, and there could be an issue with the turbo. But you've got to be careful with turbo warranties. They don't fail as often as people think they do, and a lot of failures are not a warrant tool failure. So you got to get it hot, then pull it off? Get it hot. If you fire the truck up in the parking lot and pull it in, and it's cold outside, you might have fuel slobber. So you right. get a false reading. So get it up to operating temperature. Pull it into the shop, let it cool off a little bit, and then go ahead and remove the okay. turbo. You I have to pull it, off, to pull it off, pull off hot. I was like, dang, that kind of sucks. Yeah, you don't have to pull it off hot, but you don't want to fire it up, let it build air, and pull it in the shop on a cold day because there's a good chance you will have fuel slobber. And fuel slobber looks really like oil on the turbo, and it's not. Yeah, it really does look it. like it. We get that a lot. So that's something to be careful for. Yeah, you see it a lot, especially like cold mornings, like you said. So, especially when the engine's um, running really rich, try to heat, you know, warm the engine and the after treatment up. It usually backs the timing off and puts more fuel in, you know, try to just get everything up the temp. So that would make sense. Even excessive idling, it's cold out and you're idling to keep warm. That, that can cause that. Even on a, a newer truck, they still do it. Um, that was real common with the older trucks, but we're even seeing it on the newer ones as well. Do you see a lot of issues with oil going out the exhaust side? I, I've seen it a lot where it comes out like into the intake side, but not necessarily the exhaust side. On the older trucks, it's the exhaust side more so. Really? Mm-hmm. And if you have oil coming out of the compressor side, the clean air side, uh, it could be a bad turbo or a dirty air filter with high restriction can cause the same problem. So make sure you check your air filter if you see that. Yeah, and you said um, if something went through the compressor side, I can't really imagine what that would be if you had air filters. So usually that happens if the clamp stuff loose, there's a hole in the intake piping. Oh, so there's actually like a hole in it. A hole. Um, or if you had a turbo failure previous and they didn't take everything apart and keep everything clean. Mm. It doesn't take much, uh, very small object to damage a compressor wheel. Or it's spinning pretty fast. Or like dirt will just chew it up, chew the outside of the wheel up over time. It'll sandblast it. Yeah. Hey, uh, I'm, Make sure I'm the air back. is all good shape. Oh, good. And, and that's perfect. Were we on that all the time or no? Uh, it, we, you probably dropped out for a couple seconds. It didn't take me long to reconnect, and it sounds like we've got the problem fixed. Pete, I'll jump in right there because uh, talking about the compressor wheel, um, what do you think of those pictures I sent you? So it does look like there's some dirt ingestion there. Um, I, I don't think it's damaged to turbo, um, but it is kind of dirty. But like I said, you know, was a clamp left loose? Uh, something we see a lot, too, is when someone has their truck power wash. So they tilt the hood. They, the guys stand on the engine to hit the roof. Um, they stand on the air intake pipe. You know, the clamps can't hold yeah. that type of weight. 
you know, that's pretty common. We see that a lot where air intake piping isn't fitting properly uh, or clamps loose or, or something like that that can cause dirt ingestion. So there's a lot of places dirt ingestion can come from other than just a filter. Yeah, the the problem here, um, David Counts from Fleet Air Fil- Filter sent me those, and they're trying to get him to pay for a $40,000 engine. And the problem is this truck's got 200 and some thousand miles on it, fairly new. They've only done one oil sample, which is after the fact. I mean, the damage is already done to the engine. I'm assuming it's using a lot of oil. They didn't put any numbers in there, but they're claiming that dirt wiped out the engine and that it was the fleet air filter's fault. And it may or may not have been. The problem is, how do we know now? Because they've torn the whole thing apart, and now they're saying, well, we we put an engine in this thing, and you have to pay for it. Well, that's not how that works. I mean, if you have some sort of a claim against anybody, you've got to go through the right procedures. You can't just do do the job and then say this was your fault, and you have to pay for it. I don't think it was the fleet air filter. And the one oil sample that they did do, the the silicon was only 12. I mean, that's a little elevated, but that's that's not going to wipe out an engine. You would, you would see evidence of dirt in the intake piping, which they may have torn everything apart. But if you look at the intake piping that goes in the turbo, you would see signs of dirt there yeah, if the, it was the filter. It, well, it could even be they, the piping off, there, too, though. Out. That that's the other problem. It could have been piping that caught, but that's all been taken apart. So now, if we are to inspect the filter, which they have, the filters there's nothing wrong with it. There's no tears. It was oiled right. The seal's fine. Now maybe it wasn't installed right, but we don't know any of that now. And you know what? Without oil samples, without a history, how do we know what happened here? I mean, the the last oil sample we have, the only oil sample we have, would say that dirt getting in the engine wasn't even the cause, because it doesn't look like there's I mean, much dirt what, in there. What what was the engine failure? Uh, we're like not just wiping I, the cylinder. Yeah, yeah, they're, out the side. yeah. They're claiming the cylinders were polished. The turbo had damage. Yeah. Hmm. It had a, so Cummins, I, I know years ago. Um, Cummins, there's a chemical you can put on rings. So if a engine came in under warranty, when you took the engine apart, you would put this chemical on, it was a powder you'd mix with water and then rub it on the rings. And if there was dirt ingestion, it would turn the rings brown, I believe. I forget what the chemical was. No idea. And that, that would basically, I think what there is, is you're taking the chrome off of the yeah, uh, the rings. Yeah, dirt ingestion. So and that, this was something that I recall, you know, twenty five years ago. Yeah, doing. You know, even this again. They they after the fact, the work's already done. They're trying to get David to pay for this. You know, if you have a new engine that starts to use oil, and you go back to say Cummins, any of the OEMs, they all have their criteria. You can't just walk in and say, I'm, I have to put oil in every 2,000 miles. I need a new engine. There's a whole process they go through. They make you document your oil consumption against your fuel consumption over a period of time. That They don't just, you know, you can't just show up and say, hey, we had to replace this engine. Now you have to pay for it. 
and this goes back, had they been doing oil analysis the whole time, right. dirt was getting into the <laughs> we would have known. That. Right. And we would have saved it. I mean, you, you can get mm-hmm. dirt in there for quite a while before it really does a lot of damage. That's why, you know, 12 on silicon isn't a big deal, but that's our criteria. If it goes over 10, we're going to try to figure out why. Because eventually, if you leave it over 10, you're going to start seeing some damage occur. But one sample with 12 is no big deal at all. Yeah, and the sample, I remember right, was at like 15,000 miles. So it right. had a fair amount of miles on it. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, there's 3,000 miles on it, and that's what we have. And of course, that would not be very valid. But, you know, 15,000 miles of running with dirt in there, I also would have thought it had been much higher than 12. You know, David just wants to pay for this and move along and just not have to deal with the hassle. And, and on this one, I don't think he should. Yeah, I don't see where there's any you know, evidence that, hey, it's the, right. it wasn't like they took the filter out and it was sucked up, you know, exactly. sucked out or, right. or the, you know, any of that happened, so. Yeah, all right, well. So, hey, apparently we're not streaming, Kevin. Uh, hold on. On audio load. Uh, we should be. On his phone, it's showing up. Who? Hold on one second. Uh, Jordan at the shop since it's not streaming. Yeah, I think it is. It he may start. he mean may need to maybe something with his app. As far as I can tell, we're we are streaming. We are. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He says we are. Might be your app. Okay. Okay. Good. So make sure we're on. Yeah, we're good. And we got the noise gone. So, uh, all right. And we have Bruce, so we can bring Bruce in here in uh, a minute. So kind of a weird start there. Um, I was a little distracted. Pete, um, do you have anything else today? You know, so that goes back to, you know, diagnostics when there's a problem. You know, once you tear an engine down, you're committed. You know, we've always done that. And, and Gary, that used to work here, since retired, was really fanatical about that, where let's find the problem. And if it takes us two hours to find it or three hours, so be it. Right. Because uh, right. once you, you know, basically he would say, you know, once you tear down, you're committed. We're, you can't go backwards. You know, here's and something else. Don't uh, uh, enough of that. Here's something else about this case. So this is a new Cummins engine, fairly new isn't the oil change interval on those things like 75,000 miles now if you use their filter and their uh, oil or something? 80. 80. Yeah, so Based on fuel mileage, doing their oil analysis, yeah, you can go up to 80 and, on it. And uh, here's what we know. Guidelines, but. Here, here's what we know about those engines. Not only can you go to 80, but you can go to 80 and not put any oil in. That's the norm these days. You go... 50, 60, 70, 80,000 miles between oil changes, and you don't even put any makeup oil in. The criteria isn't Cummins like 2,500 miles per gallon of oil before they'll do something about it? So Cat Cummins in Detroit all have it. It's like um, a quart every 500 miles. And if you didn't see that it says Cat Cummins in Detroit, they almost read identical. It's a huge right. amount of consumption before they'll address so, the issue. So let's think about and, and, this. We went from an engine that could go 80,000 miles before it needs, a, and it still doesn't need a gallon of oil. It's not using any at all. It's still full. 
And now we're so bad that they had to replace an engine. We didn't catch this in there somewhere that we were putting in oil. This happens slowly over time, unless you break a ring or something. And that doesn't sound like the case here. It sounds like the cylinders got polished. That, no, that would have happened that. over a long period of time. Yeah, so, you know, just a way that was, you know, first thing, if, if that customer came to me, you know, first thing, let's track consumption. Let's do a couple oil analysis. Um, let's put on a dyno and take a manometer test. So there's a yeah. bunch of tests we can do and say, okay, yes, you do have oil consumption. Yes, you have high blow-by. Yes, you have dirt and oil. Let's look at the intake system. Yes, and start exactly, there. right. Um, and let's... we miss all that, those steps. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just, um, I, I don't think David has any responsibility here at all. They didn't give him any proof that it was his no. fault because they didn't take the right step. No. Nope. They weren't methodical. Not even their, close. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, hey, let's just tear into it. Yeah. Huh. All right. Yeah, when we, we had a truck shoot like a year ago with a, the guy wanted to get warranty for an engine that he thought was dusted. So we had to send pictures and everything over to Cummins and we didn't tear anything apart except like most of the intake system in the pipes. I think I sent like 45 photos over wow. of literally everything yeah. before they even made the determination. And cause I think the, it had, it was setting the check engine light off for, um, high crankcase pressure. And we went back and forth with them for two or three weeks with Cummins. And I think it ultimately came down to, they weren't going to warranty it because they didn't think that the crankcase pressure was high enough, even though it was setting off a check engine light. They're like, well, it's not blowing up, even though you have issues. So, I'm not sure what the guy ended up doing. I think he just drilled a hole in the uh, the pipe it, that goes to the crankcase pressure, just vent off some pressure and went through a light. <laughs> so, yeah, and it, we've seen the ISXs will show high crankcase pressure and not have problems. Right. Yeah. You know, as right. you add horsepower, especially if someone in a tune, um, the higher the horsepower, the more blow-by you have. And that kind of goes you know, hand in hand. Something else I'm wondering here, I'll have to ask David about this. This is a new truck with 200,000 miles on it. We're, we're talking to a dealer, but where's Cummins? Why isn't this just a Cummins issue right now? Until Cummins could prove that it was the air filter, this is a Cummins issue. They should be doing this under mm -hmm. warranty. Yeah, if it has one, yeah. Hmm. Right. I guess it only has 200,000, so it should be in. Yeah. Yeah. So it's still got warranty that Cummins should have been involved. And at some point, if Cummins could come in and prove that it's the air filter that caused it, David says, I'll stand behind it. But they just gave him no opportunity. Right. There's there's nothing here. And I said, based on what they've what they've done and shown you, I wouldn't give him a dime. Yeah, I don't see any proof that it was a bad air filter or defective air filter. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's bring Bruce into the conversation and see what's on his mind today. Bruce, good morning. Good morning. Okay, there's no warranty on any engine that has liner bore polish. You have to find out where the dirt came from. So... So what you if... You guys covered that enough. Yeah, well, real quick, what if they the, the shop brings it in they don't contact anybody they just start tearing things apart now how do we prove you know that we had a, a clamp loose on the yeah. intake they, they, yeah. 
they made mistakes. There's protocols you have to follow, and Pete said that. Yeah. <laughs> and Pete, that chemical that you put on the rings used to turn them green. Uh, okay, I knew to change colors, but I couldn't for the life of me remember what it was. No, it was green. green. Okay. Is, that, is green. The, the white uh, bottle, green. we have it on the shelf. Is there any copper in a ring? That's, I know there's a lot of chrome. Yeah, there is a lot of chrome. I'm just thinking cop, copper reacts and, and turns green. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I had something else. Found a product in Home Depot that we can use in a lot of different applications. It's called Danco, D-A-N-C-O, gasket rubber. It's six inches by six inches, and they have an eighth inch and a sixteenth inch. It's about $7 for two pieces. And I had a shire door, glass shire door, that was falling off the hinges. And I take it apart, almost lost the whole damn door. The thing's heavy. Um, and find these two U-shaped rubber gaskets and the metal would crimp together and there's only two small screws that held it and I couldn't find out the manufacturer or anything and so I'm thinking I got to find some rubber and make these gaskets and so I went to Home Depot the closest place to me and one guy we looked and looked and looked and and finally, he said, you know, we have something over in plumbing, and it's called Danco gasket rubber. It's very dense rubber. He spent the $7, brought it home, traced the old ones, cut it out with scissors, put it in, it works perfect. I'm thinking, you know, this is pretty neat, because if you got a paper gasket somewhere or a thin gasket in a truck engine, and it's leaking because maybe there's some corrosion or rust. This stuff would stop a colon leak. Interesting. So keep that in mind. Yeah. Well, keep that in Home Depot in the plumbing section. Danco gasket rubber. All right. Next, we're down to six rooms at the Line Shack Lodge at the Owner Operator Snowmobile Conference. And if we have guys that have never rode before and you think you want to try it, we have a fellow from Paris, Texas, Abraham. And hold on. <laughs> hold on a second. Bentley's always trying to get on the show. I'm in a I'm in a building that had hurricane damage in Florida, and there's workers going in and out, in and out. So, um, so where was I? Oh, about the owner operator snowmobile conference, March first, second, third, and fourth. We have one fellow so far that has never rode. I think he's 39 years old. So if anybody wants to give it a try and never do. Uh, we would never let you stranded in the mountains, and we'll teach you how to ride. There's a lot of uh, great riders that come, and uh, there'll be no problems. 
There you go. It's a line shack lodge, Dubois, Wyoming. Uh, Kathy has the information. So we're down to six rooms. And then last week we were talking about nuclear power plant. Well, it turns out Mark Dinslage, one of our owner operators, he just sent me a message. He was on the USS Enterprise. It was built in 1958. It's an aircraft carrier. I think it was 1,128 feet long, longest aircraft carrier ever built, and it was the first one with nuclear power. He said it had four 22-foot-high propellers. Each shaft had 280,000 horsepower from nuclear reactors. The nuclear reactors were built by Westinghouse Electric out of Pittsburgh. And it's since been decommissioned, but this aircraft carrier could travel in excess of 33 knots. Wow. And knot is one point, yeah, knot is 1.151 mile per hour, or this thing could do 38 miles per hour. Mark said he didn't know how fast it went, but he said you could water ski behind it. Yeah, at that speed, you certainly could. Holy cow, I could barefoot behind it (laughs) at that speed. Holy cow. (laughs) Can you imagine 38 mile per hour? No. 1,100 feet long what that thing weighed? You know what I don't, what's kind of odd if you haven't been around a lot of boats, don't really get this, but take any boat, a little fishing boat with an outboard motor all the way up to an aircraft carrier, and no matter what, they all go about the same speed on the water, right? I mean, to get anything to go faster mm-hmm. on the water, you have to work really, really hard at it. Most boats, no matter what size they are, they end up going about the same speed once you put them in the water. Yeah. Do you remember Ski Supreme? Yeah, yeah. We had one in our boat club, and it would only do like 38 mile per hour, and I tuned on that thing and tuned on it. I forget if it had the 350 Chevy or the 351 Ford, but we recurved the distributor, rejetted the carburetor, <laughs> changed the power valves in the carburetor, did everything we knew how to make this thing run, and we couldn't get it going any faster. No. So I called Pleasure Craft Marine. They were in Ohio. And they said, it's not the engine, it's the hull. Yeah. There's a problem in that hull. They told me, take my engine out of my ski nautique that would run 46 mile an hour and put in that ski supreme. I said, no way, I'm going through all that work just to prove that somebody's hull's bad when I don't even own the boat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, although I will, I will so say, anyway, swapping motors out of ski boats probably the easiest engine swap I've ever done. Yeah. Just so long as you line up the shaft, yeah, the propeller shaft, yeah, and that was the tricky part. And you have to do it in the water when the boat's in its natural cradle. Yep. You don't do it yeah. sitting on a trailer. Yeah, we did what we I took did. A- First time I did it, we we took a four. I broke a propeller shaft. We took a four fifty four out of one and put in a three fifty one. Okay, we took took a barefoot boat and made it a ski boat. Yeah, and I could still barefoot on it really well. That four fifty four just sucked down the gas, and it wasn't there. Really, weren't that 
any big advantages to it. Right, right. When I barefooted, I only went 38 mile an hour. That was fast enough. My feet would, <laughs> yeah. after 45 seconds, felt like somebody had a torch on them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, hey, before I forget, speaking of, you, you started this talking about um, nuclear. And kind of interesting because we have not allowed anything new with nuclear for decades. I can't remember the last time we built a plant, but it's been a long time. We've talked about, you know, would that be a good solution going forward since we're trying to get rid of fossil fuels? I, I, it turns out that um, we have just recently, just very recently, um, approved a new, an entire new design for a nuclear power plant. And they're really small and modular. Like these aren't these big giant plants that are going to take 25 years to build. And um, these are fairly small, 50 megawatts, um, which is much, much, much smaller than most. Um, this might be interesting, though. If we start building these around somewhere, that, uh, that could be a good thing. I'm shocked that they've approved this. Yeah. Did you see the group of people that was in Davos flying in in their personal jets? Uh, yeah, 1,500 of Al them. Gore, how Al Gore was in a rampage? Yeah, he should Did calm down. He's, he's going to have a heart attack because he's probably vaxxed and boosted. He should avoid getting so excited. He said our oceans are boiling. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, I happen to be they, in... He also claimed I was in the Gulf of Mexico. Go, go back. I forget when he made this claim and exactly which year, but something like by the early 2000s, there was going to be no snow left in Antarctica. He made that claim back in the 80s or 90s. Yeah. Antarctica is actually growing. Um, the Gulf of Mexico right now is 65 degrees, so it's far from boiling. <laughs> the morning temperatures in Florida are anywhere from 44 to 64 are degrees. So I don't know where all this heat is. There's record snow in Colorado, Wyoming, and Utah. Yeah, exactly. Um, they're still building high-rise, super high-rise buildings along the Florida coast. And would they be putting in millions and millions of dollars in buildings that are going to be flooded? You wouldn't think so. Because, right? So they keep coming up with this, and they keep saying global warming, but the other people say the Ice Age is someday going to come back. Now, we won't be here, but... Yeah, anything's you know. possible, obviously, when it comes to the environment. It's changed lots of times. And then why this thing that was going over in Davos, why did they not talk about India and China? Because they said they're upcoming countries, really? Upcoming to take over the U.S.? I was a little shocked at that. They're more concerned about us and we're clean yeah, we're than good. they were about the dirty countries. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or or I, I, I read somewhere that the amount of 
carbon emissions and pollutions those 1500 jets put in the air getting there is more than we could ever burn in cars in some ungodly amount of time just that one thing that these idiots do uh and then they want to you know talk about the fact that we drive an suv instead of a prius right okay so that's all i had all right Anybody have anything else we need to cover? Oh, one thing. Oh, I, I have. I have. Go ahead, I have Chris. a fellow looking for. He was an owner operator. He got out of it and decided to do company work for a while and do some other things. And he said, "Man, my heart's still being, still into being an owner operator." And he's looking for a clean. Kenworth or Pete, uh, 386, T660, with the ISX or X15, 13-speed uh, or 18-speed. We'll, we'll worry about the gearing. So if anyone knows a very clean used truck like so, that, call me. So I would tell him to be patient. I've been tracking used truck prices. They are coming down fast all of a sudden, finally. Should have happened sooner. I'm not sure why it didn't, but they're finally starting to come down. I think in about three months, we're going to see some real deals. So I, I would just start looking now, but I would be patient and I would watch those prices. I think they're going to start coming down a lot. Um, last week, I talked about that company that was adding spark to diesel engines and then claiming you could burn all kinds of fuel. And one of them was ammonia. Leroy, I think you were on the right track. Um, I went and did some digging. It turns out that they're they're doing this on board somehow. They're cracking the ammonia was the term they used. And I guess ammonia, this is weird. Ammonia has three times more hydrogen than compressed hydrogen. How does that work? NH3? Yeah, I guess. Hydrogen? Yeah. So it's a, it's got a... <laughs> lot of hydrogen in it so there I, I don't know what their spark to the engine had to do with anything because they're pulling ammonia out to run this as a, a battery electric a hydrogen electric I mean. uh, I, I, I guess, yeah yeah so ammonia is just the carrier of the, of the, the hydrogen. hydrogen yeah they're they're pulling the hydrogen out and sending it straight into the the uh, fuel cell Okay, eh, that makes sense, but yeah, it's definitely not the fuel of the future. So. I, I didn't think so, but uh, they seem pretty excited about it. It seems like there's still an awful lot of downsides, but uh, we shall because you still have to you have to onboard ammonia somewhere. I mean, there still has to be a stop somewhere to put fuel on this truck. I mean, handling ammonia is just like oh. not just like a simple thing. No, that you know? doesn't sound diesel might, I mean, <laughs> right. It. Yeah, you don't want to drink diesel, but I mean, if you get it on your hands or you it's know, no big you deal. Smell it, it's right. not like yeah. yeah. Well, we'll we'll. Uh, we'll I mean, it's fun that all these different types of things, but it's just it just comes down to price and practicality. That's that's just, the none whole, of it just makes sense. 
And, you know, the, these articles make it sound like, oh, let's just start building these things. N- no, maybe we should test them and find out what this really does to cost. That's that's what nobody seems to be talking about, whether it's electric, battery electric, hybrid electric, hydrogen electric, whatever it is. Nobody's talking about what are the cost of owning these things. Total cost of ownership. How much did I have to pay to, to buy this vehicle? What is the energy cost per mile and what are the maintenance costs per mile? That's going to be what we've got to know. And nobody's talking about that. I mean, if it, if it made a lot of sense um, money-wise, you know, fleets would do it. Of course. Oh. Yeah, we'd be all over it. But it doesn't look like that's going to be the case. It looks like it's going to be the opposite. Like this stuff's going to be really expensive to operate. And if we have yeah. problems with the supply chain now in getting certain parts or, you know, trucks are getting so complicated, you try to take them to a shop, nobody can figure out what's going on. And now we're going to add all these fuels and technologies nobody even understands. What's that going to do to downtime? I thought I saw something that Cummins. Did you see this, Pete, with that new hydrogen one that Cummins? Was, is that what they were making? Some X-15 hydrogen or natural gas one? Because they're really pushing the hydrogen uh, coming side. I thought I saw something that it was supposed to be able to burn like all types of fuel, like diesel, natural gas, hydrogen. Like, I saw something like that. I didn't really read it. I just saw like a headline. But is that is that what we get down to someday? Where you know, you pull up to a pump and you have like six different options. You know, Arctic Cat made a. Arctic Cat made a, a four-wheeler, and it would run on all kinds of different fuels, gas and kerosene and diesel and aviation fuel. The problem was it just didn't run very good on any of them. Yeah, <laughs> I can see that happening. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, it can run on all of those fuels. You just won't like driving it. Yeah. Well, you know, you likely take all those... Take all those alternative fuels and put some max mileage in it. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see what happens. Yeah. All right. We're uh, speaking of that. I think we have a question about it. So we're going to get to the phones. We're going to start off in Kentucky today. Raymond, welcome to the program. Well, I'm in Tennessee now. Well, there you go. About Kentucky. <laughs> anyway, um, I want to talk about fleet air filters a minute. But my basic question for you guys, can I, I, I'm driving my Volvo today. Well, it's had a few little glitches here. I just left the shop. Well, they turned the knock sensor thing back off. I'm sitting here waiting for the, my check engine light to come back on. And I, I was way going to wait till I filled up with fuel to put the catalyst in. But... Uh, I was thinking about pulling over the side of the road and spiking a little bit, you know, right? Well, I mean, I'm, I, can you overdo it? Yes, you definitely Hello? can. Okay. Can you hear us? Yeah, I can now, yeah. Okay, yeah, so you can over-concentrate Yeah, okay. So you want to estimate how much fuel you have in there and then put that amount in each tank um, so that it's basically one ounce of max mileage catalyst for every 25 gallons of diesel fuel. So well, for 25, you that's, that's like the recommendation. Yeah, okay, okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Kind of I'm, guess may not have I'm almost go from there. I'm getting ready to fuel here in a few minutes anyway, so I guess I was waiting to get the right mixture. 
So, so you but, said you uh, had a knock on your clothes. A knock, an upper knock set is what it's calling for. And she said the lower is liable to go out when they do that. So I'm, I don't know how much they cost, but I really put did they, uh, they, did they test drive it afterwards? Or did they just clear the code and just, did they replace it or what did they do? I'm driving it right now. They didn't, ha- they didn't have a knock set for one thing. They had to order it. And, uh, I'm I'm just trying her out again here. See how long it's going to take for the, for the uh, lights to come back on. It's, I've came old oh, hundred mile or so, but it's not not came back on yet. So. You said and like hundred miles. He said uh, hundred miles. Yeah, it ain't come back on yet. And I drove it like uh, two hundred yesterday before it came on. But uh, the, in the middle of a knock center thing. They wanted to put a new turbo on because they claimed the actuator wasn't working. And this is a brand new rebuild. So yeah. They did it. They put a new turbo on and all that at their expense. So, uh, I guess if they paid for it, why not? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it didn't uh, do what you want as long as it's under warranty. You know, I thought, and that, uh, switching subject here, you've answered my question on the catalyst. Uh, this guy actually changed a filter on a truck and still in a warranty. I mean, you don't change anything when you're in a warranty, is what I'm concerned. I mean, yeah, they've got every right to refuse that. No, they don't. No, they don't. Only if they prove the filter caused the problem. If the filter didn't cause this problem, they can't just randomly say, oh, we we get a free pass. Our engine failed, but we're not going to cover it. They can't do that. It's illegal. There is no way to ever prove that at this point. Well, it's their, but it's their responsibility to prove, not mine. I, I, I don't have to prove. Well, yes, but... You, you, you can't prove I've a negative. I, you can't prove that the filter didn't cause it. They have to prove the filter did cause it because it's impossible to prove a negative. Okay. Well, right, that- it, it, here's, here, here's the point I'm making. When I, my truck mentor, uh, back in the 90s, he bought a damn brand new uh, Freightliner with a... 500 Detroit in it. And it was a hell of a good truck. He never, he, he run 1.3 million miles and never even changed the the uh, front hub or any of that. Anyway, uh, he he said, well, this, this guy, he said, he want me to put, put exhaust on there. Put, he said, Bill, you can't modify the exhaust on this truck. You board your warranty. That's not true. I would that, say that, that is not true. That is not true. And I, I wouldn't, if I look back well, over all the, what he said back. If, if I look back over all the brand new trucks I bought, put an OPS on it day one, put a uh, fast on it day one, put fleet air filters on it day one, and then you calculate all the money that saves you over that warranty period, I'm going to keep doing that. We've been doing it for decades, and we don't see these kinds of problems. And look, David Counts is standing there saying, prove it was the filter. I'll pay for this, guys. I don't have a problem with that. But nobody proved. They made a ton of mistakes here, so David should not have to pay a penny on this one. Can I say something? Sure. Go ahead. Can I say something? Years ago, 
The uh, was it the K100 was the cab over, and the air filter. I had one of those. Behind. Okay, the air filter was behind the driver's side steer tire. Exactly. And it was kind of a backwards. The snorkel would come down into the center. It brought the dirty air into the center of the air filter. It would, air would travel through the air filter to the outside of the canister or the outside of the air filter, still in the canister. And that's where the clean air went onto the engine. And the air filter would be painted to match the truck. But there were two chrome bands that held that air filter canister in place. And during the winter time, that left front tire would kick up the salt. And it would get behind those bands, and it would rust. And one particular winter, we rebuilt three engines because of the air filter housing rusting through. Yeah. It wasn't the air filter. It right. was the housing. Hey. And then they, at times they would run the aluminum tube over across the engine, and it would sit on a pedestal that was mounted between number two and number three valve cover on the big cam, and it sat on rubber. Well, when that rubber wore away, now you had the aluminum sitting on steel, and it would wear through. And now you had this hole that was about three inches long by two inches wide on the bottom side of the pipe carrying the clean air to the turbo. That would wipe out engines. Yeah. We would find that trucks that injected a lot of salt the salt would get between the rubber and the aluminum tube. It would expand the clamp and let the dirt air, the dirty air come in after the air came through the air filter. So every time we found a truck with liner bore polish, it was always something either with the housing or the piping or the elbows or the clamp. Not it was the never the paper air filter. Right. Hey Pete, does uh, do do any of the OEMs um, require or publish a list of consumables like filters? Is is there an authorized list of filters I can use on an engine? No, no, there isn't. So, hmm. Raymond, nope. how is this any different? If I if I decide yeah, sure. to if I decide to use a non-OEM oil filter, it's a third-party oil filter, does that void my warranty? I don't, I don't know about that. Really it doesn't, know. and it shouldn't. I'll answer this. If the oil filter fails, you don't have warranty. Correct. If you yep. have a non-OEM filter on. That's exactly correct. Fuel filter and oil filter. But if you have a caterpillar and you have cat filters on it and a cat filter fails, that's still or cat. guard filters right. on a Cummins or Detroit filter, right. you are covered by warranty if the filter fails. If the oil filter fails and it goes in and usually spins the main bearings, you are covered by warranty. 
And Raymond, we're saying the same so thing here. To, if the fleet yes, sir, air yes. filter failed and we can prove it failed, then yes, the, the, the OEM is not on the hook here. Fleet air filter is. But somebody has to prove that. And they didn't. Well, I, I, did, I wasn't sure what the rules are. I just, I, I, that was, uh, okay, I'll buy that. Yeah, it, it, and like I said, David uh, I, David was more more than willing. He, you know, he he's never had a filter fail, but he said, "Look, if my filter failed, I will stand behind this." But it, it's too late. Nobody could prove that now. Right. Uh, what? The, I forgot my question. Go ahead, Jim. But if you if you come into our parts department at Pittsburgh Power. And you go into the air filter, or the fuel, I'm sorry, the filter section, you'll see Caterpillar filters, you'll see Fleet Guard filters, and Detroit filters. And whatever engine we're working on, we always put OEM filters back on, and that is the reason why. Exactly. I was called in years ago. There were two brothers that had a strip mine up in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania, right off of Interstate 80. And they had an oil filter fail on a 1710. That's a V12 Cummins. It was in a drag line. And the filter got sucked through. And I know the filter manufacturer, but I'm not going to say it. It was not a fleet guard. And they called. They called the filter people. And the filter people said, sue us. Yeah. Well, the two brothers went bankrupt over it. Yeah. They didn't have enough money to fix the engine, so and that that happened probably in the late eighties, and that was a lesson. I said, so that's the case, huh? So I I leased two Nissan Maximas in the early nineties, and when I leased the cars, I took six oil filters with me, and they kind of laughed. I said, oh, you guys don't understand. If this oil filter fails, I'm going to change it every 3,000 miles. If the oil filter fails, I'm going to call you and tell you where your car is. Bring me another <laughs> one right. because I'm leasing this. I'm not buying this. <laughs> yeah. But I'm covering CYA because it's your filter. Yeah. I've never had one. So the worst thing you can do is remember we used to have Kmart's. And they sold Lee oil filters for $3.45. Big mistake buying stuff like that. Yeah. Never buy cheap yeah, filters. exactly. Never. Yeah. Uh, what is the purpose of the fleet air system? Make you get better fuel mileage or what? Yes. You don't have to change the, it or what? Well, well both. I mean, you how, how, air, much, how much is it? How much? I, I just How much does it increase your fuel mileage? I just explained this yesterday. Why? Uh, paper filters, a brand new paper filter, the day you put it in, that's the best it's ever going to be at flowing air. We want a filter to do two things. We want it to trap all the dirt. We want it to flow as much air as possible. When you put a paper filter in, that's, that's the best it's ever going to get. It will go downhill from there. It actually gets better at filtering. It gets worse at flowing air as it clogs. And, and diesel engines want as much air as we can get to them. So the foam 
actually has much, much bigger passageways to allow air through than paper does, but it still filters better because the oil, this is why we use an oiled foam, the oil attracts the dirt to it. So the air flows through at a much higher rate, much higher volume of air, and we trap more dirt. This is just a better filter all the way around. And you don't replace it. We're not constantly throwing away paper filters and buying new ones. So two big advantages. Three, I guess we could say performance, fuel economy, and cost. Well, well what's the cost? I'm not putting one on my bobble right now. But my international, I might do that. Uh, what does one cost? Out the door. Pete? The system. I'm going to look that up here. I think they're like 325 Sounds for a about single right. filter. Sounds about right. Well, that's not bad. I mean, it, that's, that's not exorbitantly high, that's for it, sure. It's really not. You know, when you, I, I don't know. What are you paying for a paper filter these days? 70 or 80 bucks sometimes? It's not like that. Uh, yeah, unless you've got a new Kenworth, they're about $150. Yeah, yes. square ones. That's right. Some of them are getting. about 60 bucks. Yeah. Yeah, I can tell you. I can tell you this: you take a very astute owner-operator that's really in tune with his truck. Three seventy-nine, three eighty-nine Pete's W nine Kenworth with the air filters on the side, and he puts the fleet air filters in. Usually within a day or two, he'll call you. He said, "Man, I can <laughs> hear the turbo yep. through the air filter." I never heard that before. I hate that. Every- yeah. my ears. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll send you a pack of earplugs with your filter. <laughs> By the way, okay, years ago, on the inlet, on a B-series Cummins in a Dodge pickup in the mid-90s, the turbo would whistle, but a lot of people never heard it, but your dog could hear it. <laughs> and the dog, <laughs> the dog went crazy. So there you go. we haven't talked about NAP-WID-enhanced nap turbos, and the, the NAP-WID-enhanced part feeds the lower fin 20 to 30% more air. But they put a diffuser in there and they held it in with a big snap ring to get rid of that noise so you could take your pet with you in your pickup truck. So we come along, you know, we're performance guys. We take that out of there. And nobody had a problem with it. And I didn't have a problem with it until one day I was towing the trailer with the engines going to the Boston truck show. And that turbo was screaming out there. And it bothered me. So I put mine back in. But but a couple of months later, I took it out. And it didn't scream in Pittsburgh. It didn't scream all the way to Colorado and back. But it screamed going to Boston. And uh, I thought, isn't that amazing? But I, I finally heard it. And I'll tell you what, I probably took 150 of them out. And nobody ever complained. But I, I know you remember this, Bruce. The old oil bath breathers on track. Oh, on track was on here. Track they had the oil bath oh. breathers. Now that I <laughs> got to clean your air, but I guess it was too slow getting air through or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And then do you remember the 482 cars? Remember the 482 cars that were on the outside of Auto Car? No. They just didn't. You don't remember the 48-2 bar They just didn't filter enough air. There's 48 small round tubes. The theory was good. It just wasn't enough volume. Yeah. And anybody that's okay, repowering well, a truck, if you, anyone that's repowering a truck, if you're going from low horsepower to high horsepower, if it came factory with a low horsepower, you need to get the air filter part number and call Donaldson or Nelson and find out what the CFM rating is and then know the CFM rating of the engine you're putting in. And I can tell you, if you're, if you take a truck and you're making 40 plus pound of boost, you need at least 1500 CFM. And years ago, like the 335, Cummins, a small cam, only took 885 CFM. So you got a large increase in air. Yeah. Yeah. You got to think about that. As that turbo boost goes up and the more horsepower you're producing, you may have too small of an air filter. Okay. Let's change the subject to boats. You mentioned boats all ago. I have a 454 Alpha 1 Outdrive Merc Cruiser, 88 model, Chaparral boat. I would love to sell that sucker. And if you, I'll take six grand for it. There you go. And it, I would guarantee it's Yeah, hell, it's XL 235 Cuddy Cabin. It's a Cuddy Cabin. It's not open about It's a Cuddy Cabin. Yeah. Chaparral's a good boat, man. Anyway. Where is it? It's in Somerset, Kentucky. Uh, on the second largest man-made impoundment in the world, Lake Cumberland. Yeah. I, we, uh, yeah. we used to do an annual trip to Lake Cumberland for water skiing every year, rent a big houseboat for the week, had a blast out there. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a fun lake. Yeah, yeah really, Cumberland's hell, a lot they of fun. They say there's more shorelines. They say more shoreline in the state of Florida. That is correct. So, it's I mean, like a really, uh, yeah, crazy it's, it's, amount of shore. It's a hundred miles long. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's a hundred miles long, yeah. And it's and all you got all the tributaries coming in and all that. Yeah. Yeah, it's all fingers, so you have shoreline everywhere. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bruce, I, have I you have Bruce, have, have you seen some of the houseboats they have out there? <laughs> Yeah, a client of ours used to haul those. They built those long houseboats, yeah. and he had a cat in a Western Star, and it yeah. would take two trucks to get the truck started up the ramp, because <laughs> keep in mind, the computer yeah. will not release fuel until it sees eight pounds of turbo boost. Well, you can't get eight pounds of boost when you got this huge trailer and this huge houseboat. So, so they would let the houseboat float. They'd let the houseboat float a little bit. The front was attached to the trailer, and then they'd take off to try to get some momentum whenever the entire boat came down on a trailer. So I, I met the fellow that hauled these, and, oh, he had these alligator cowboy boots on, real expensive cowboy boots. And he, I met him at the Louisville Truck Show. He bought one of our power boxes. And the power box would turn on a two pound of boost, but we could make it as responsive as a quarter pound of boost. 
This was a 5EK cat. And uh, he bought the pie box and put it on there, and now it didn't take two trucks. He used to use two trucks. Wow. And then once they got up off the ramp, then they dropped the one truck off. But the first one was chained to the second truck. And he said because of the pie box, he only needed his 5EK cat, and it would just pull it right up there. I think he ran, used tire level 5 to get up, and then when he was hauling the boats. But there was, listen to this story. He had to get off the highway. There was something wrong. They sent him down a frontage road, 13 miles. Now, he would always keep two people with chainsaws up on the top of the houseboat to cut the tree branches. Because you can't be scratching person's brand new houseboat. <laughs> right. He went 13 miles down a frontage road and it was closed. Oh, he backed that houseboat oh, up. 13 miles. Oh, man. 13 miles. Oh, man. That's a horrible story. Horrible story. <laughs> and that was down at that Cumberland. Like, Pete, do you remember his name? <clears throat> I do not, but I think we have a picture of his um, truck on our wall in the hallway. We do have we do have a picture, and he and he put he put a sign on the front. And he said, "One bad cat." Thanks, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> he had that on the front of his hood. So, Bruce, the, I don't know uh, what that, what size they have at Cumberland these days, but the last time, and it's been a while. My family still goes. It's been a while since I've been, but. Uh, they, there, there was one out there that was eighty by eighteen. There was one. Uh, R.J. Coleman got one down there. He landed a damn helicopter on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The um, yeah, R.J. Coleman, the, the railroad guys, the, they got. I mean, that guy died about ten years ago, but his fortune goes the, on. So the founder, right. yeah, yeah, the founder of night transportation had a really, really nice houseboat sitting on uh, Lake Powell in Arizona. Yeah. Uh, yep. hey, Bruce, you know what? I told you, I, I told you I had a K100. The K100 yeah. I bought was used for pulling houseboats to California. Oh, there you go. So oh. I had, a, had, a, had a truck that was never loaded, really. It had 300-something on it. It was a hell of a good truck. I only gave 8000 for it back in, oh, shit, it was somewhere in the 90s. I think it was a 91 model uh, K100 or something like that. Eight nine ninety one something like that. Had a four hundred big cam three. A four hundred. Uh, I'm sorry, a, a, a caterpillar, a, a B model, B model cat. Yeah, B model cat. Yeah, good, good. Anyway, uh, one, one, one more subject, guys. I'll let you go. Take care of somebody else, please. When are these damn climate change idiots going to give up? Never. <laughs> Never. There is, no si- <laughs> there is no scientific evidence at all whatsoever that we anything we're doing is causing climate change. Well, look, there is uh, no scientific evidence anywhere that I, anything we're doing is causing climate change. I, I will. I will go so far to say that, of course, 
human beings cause climate change. Of course we do. How could yeah. you how could you not with 8 billion people on the planet doing what human beings do? How could we not affect the climate? I, I'll say we absolutely do. We're not smart enough to know how to fix it. Though. 200 years ago, the entire state of Illinois was covered in trees. <laughs> yeah, it, that, that's what I mean. Of course we... You know what? Are you going to get mad about affecting something? But... But let's also look at how let's look at how much the world changed before we were here. Didn't we learn in grade school that exactly. all the con- all the continents used to be one big land mass, and then they broke up? Well, Isn't that a pretty major change? Human beings weren't around for that. So who caused that? We're, we're in 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 the areas that the scientists have decided that's what happened. But who knows how it's exactly. Really, we don't know. <laughs> right, that for sure. right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, mm. I, I, so I tend to believe, believe that, that as a creator somewhere, he might have done it in seven days. He might have done it in seven thousand years. Because it says in the book that a, a day with him is like a thousand years. Right. A thousand I, years is like a day. Yeah. How do so you know? Anyway, you know, it might have took him ten million years to do it. I don't know how long it took him, but I believe there's a creator, and he's got it under control. Why can't everybody just believe that and go on? So, let's look at it and make it simplified. If you live in a country and it rains during the night and you walk out in the morning, the air is cool, the air is clean, you take that deep breath, you say, oh, is that beautiful? Because as the rain comes out of the sky, it grabs the dirt and brings it back to earth. Amen. All you got to do is live in the country and wake up in the morning after it rained during the night, and it smells so good. Uh, oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you, Bruce, for all the lights and stuff. I'm going to let you cut you guys loose and say you cut me loose. There you See, go. Have a good day. All right. Have a great day. Let's go to Texas. Paul, welcome to the program. Uh, by the way, we've got... Um, We've, we've got phone lines open. Paul is our last call of the morning. If you want to jump in, now is your I chance. I can, I, can, I can take out plenty of time. So. Um, well, you better be good. I'll make a comment about the fleet air filters. I've used them since 2014, I think it was, my first set. And I wash them every 25,000 miles so and re-oil them. I'll probably do it more than I should, but the little bit of time it takes me to do that ensures that my engine don't get wore out prematurely because it didn't have enough oil on it. There you go. So I have a theory about the engine that the guy wants David Counts to pay for. Maybe he went 120,000 miles without oiling them. And then he didn't take a sample. And then he's like, oh, I should re-oil those air filters. So he washed them and oiled them. And he did an oil change. And then they took a sample. And it's like, well, it's only got 12 parts per million of dirt or silicon. But he'd already done where... 
yeah, because that's, we didn't oil them enough. Yeah, that's part of the problem. We don't have any history here. I mean, we tell people all the time, if you're going to run a yeah. fleet air filter, you should be doing oil samples. Actually, we tell people all the time, whether you run a fleet air filter or not, you should be doing oil samples. It's, it's the best way to catch things before they become a problem. We could spend $60 on an oil sample and a filter or 40000 on an engine. Hey, uh, Kevin, do you recall I told you the story about the flame arresters on ski boats? Yeah. Yep. 15 hours, we were 25 parts per million on silicon. I called Pleasure Craft Marine in Ohio and he said, why don't we have air filters? He said, there's no dirt above the water. I said, have you ever done an oil analysis? And he said, what's that? Oh, and I'm yeah. talking to an engineer, and he right. said, what's that? And I said, well, there's no sense in even getting started. I was at a safety class on Saturday, and the person that was speaking, they do boat inspections. And I said, I've been boating for 50 years, never had a boat inspection. And they just looked at me. And um, so it's a lady and she's talking and she came to the part of flame arresters on gasoline engines. And she said, I don't even know what that is. So I had to help her out. Yeah. Explain to her what a flame arrestor was. Yeah. But anyway. Um, so I was going to order a new trailer this year. And because last year they were not building trailer only. So you had to buy a whole truck. Well, I didn't want to buy a whole truck. So I called the guy in early January, and I said, so when can I get a trailer? And he said, well, we just had a meeting about that. So then he said, we're uh, we're trying to get people slotted in so they get their trailer only. So then he called me back the other day, and he said, I can get you a build date in March. Okay. And then he called, so went over the final spec, everything I wanted. And then he calls me back, and he said, if you want the disc brakes, you're going to have to wait about 20 weeks to get your trailer. So I guess there's a lot more people use disc brakes now, and people are building a lot of trailers, because so, it appears there might be a bit of a shortage of disc brake axles. Seems Are like there's a shortage wait? of all kinds of things. Yeah, well, I'm going to wait because I want the disc brake, so I'll, I'll wait the 20 yeah. weeks. I'll I would wait. Take, yeah, I'm going to wait. So, and then How old is your trailer, one, Paul? Uh, 10 years old next month. Is that about the life of a car hauler? Well, it depends how much time you spend in the rust belt. But if you if you run in the rust belt, according to Cottrell, who built my trailer, they're recommended is six years, and then oh you refurbish it. And then after another six years, so when it's 12 years old, they say you scrap it. <laughs> so my... Mine's 10 years old, but it's almost not been touched. But it's starting to show its age now. The, the bottom rails, I used to have uh, little pinholes, rust. 
Well, they start to hold hands, so now I have a couple of slots. So, yeah. What What is a new car hauling trailer? Uh, he didn't give me a price yet, but I priced it last year. So then they told me they couldn't build one anyway, but it was 128 just for the trailer. 128. Yeah. So it could it could be more now, but I, I always get a lot of extras, aluminum air tanks, the extra paint inside the bottom rails, and all the good stuff make the job easier. So. Yeah. You only go around once, Paul, right? We only go around once. I'll go around the clock a couple of times. So. Now I got I got one question for for old hey, Leroy there. Life is not a dress rehearsal. That's right. As as we get older, it's not a dress rehearsal. We have to look at this could be the last. Yeah, live like there's no tomorrow. Yeah. So, Cummins Code thirty two twenty six. Is that a knock sensor? Um, I don't know off the top of my head. I could look it up. Yeah, Go ahead, look it up. Because I, I had a code come up last week. It stayed up for a day, but then it disappeared and it didn't come back. And Do you have a FMI number associated with it? I think it was, was it 49 or 18? I'm not sure. But then I, I had a code come up the other day, but I, I didn't. I didn't look at it till this morning. So, but it was thirty-two twenty-six. I think it was forty-nine. I think maybe. All right, you said thirty-two twenty-six, 26. and yeah. what? Forty-nine, four-nine. I think it was. Yeah, I think it was forty-nine. Um, maybe fourteen. Maybe it was eighteen. Yeah, anyway, I'll, I'll have a I'll have a look at it later, but I might have to go get a knock sensor, maybe. Yeah, I mean that that kind of makes a difference. Um, what the FMI number is for, it is something to do with the outlet knock sensor, but uh, based on the FMI, I I can't really tell you what the fault's for. Okay, no worries. All right, that's all I got today. So I'm down here in Texas, and it's not snowing, but it's raining. So. But all right, in Oklahoma today. There you go. So, That's all we need. We uh, in Oklahoma. We're, wait, wait, wait! Can't be Clim- climate change. You won't allow snow in Oklahoma. You better call Al Gore. Yeah, <laughs> hey, I, Al's wandering yeah. around in his jet somewhere, trying to find his way back from Davos. Um, we are all out of questions. So we'll wait uh, about 30 seconds here if you want to jump in. Anybody have anything they want to close with? Um, Pete, Leroy, I looked back and I saw you guys said something on there about Mac tuning. Did you talk about that at the Open? No, I didn't talk about the Open, but um, yeah, so I got my first uh, Mac Anthem here. It's a 2020 uh, with the MP8 engine. Um, it's a turbo compound and the guy kind of dropped it off for a few days and was like, Hey, see what you can kind of do with it. So, um, we're just working through it, trying to see what we can get it to do. I'm going to run some tests to see if we can pick up any. Um, it's really not that much different than the Volvo. Um, it does have a little bit of difference under the hood as far as the file looks. 
but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited. I, I tell you what, I uh, I like this Mack truck, the, the this Mack Anthem. I think it's the first one I got to to sit in. It's a it's a really nice truck. Good, good. Well, we'll uh, we'll wait and see what you figure out. Yeah, I've got a question, Leroy. Did you ever hear of FPT Powertrain Technologies? made in Italy and it's um, they say they're Cummins engines but finished by the Italians yeah I've heard of them they they do a lot with marine stuff don't they This this is an Italian boat and the guy is from uh, the Finger Lakes in New York and his business is they demolish bridges 40 bridges a year. That's a lot of bridges to tear down. But he wants me to find out more about these engines. He's going to start running the catalyst in them. I met with him two days ago. But you, you're thinking it's a Cummins engine also? Um, to be honest with you, I, I, I don't know much about them. I don't think it's a Cummins engine. No. Hmm. I haven't got a chance to look at them yet. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get a picture of them and a couple pictures and see. Yeah. Well, hey, did you, Kevin, did you hear about those two guys that uh, ran off the road in a Volvo somewhere in Wyoming and uh, knocked the windshield out with snow and the snow come back and pinned them in the bunk or something? They died? No. That's awful. Yeah. Yeah, Mike Lane sent me something about it. Um, let me see if I can find out. It was a pair of truckers from Missouri died early Sunday morning after being trapped in packed snow in the cabin sleeper compartment of their semi-trailer. The truck lost its windshield, then the cab packed with snow as it slid forward and down an embankment trapping Keith, 39-year-old, and Tyler, a 40-year-old, inside, according to Wyoming Highway Patrol. The deep snow solidified and trapped the driver and co-driver in the sleeper berth, according to a preliminary online WHP report of the crash. Neither man could self-extricate and was buried under approximately two feet of snow. The Volvo truck was traveling eastbound on Interstate 80 east of Evanston in U-I-N-T-A Unita County. County. Yeah, Unita County. Holy cow. That is, what a bizarre thing to have happen. Yeah. That is weird. They needed an avalanche beacon. Keith Kohler and Tyler Judd. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. All right. Well, the uh, I just we were getting ready to quit, but I just looked over and the phone's lit up. So we'll head off to Pennsylvania. Dan, welcome to the program. Yes, hello. I was wondering, what's the difference in the cooling systems between a mechanical engine and an electronic engine? The old mechanicals, which I have one, you got to have a winter front on it. But 
don't they both have thermostats and water pumps? And how come my electronic truck, I don't need a winter front. It does just fine. What's the difference? On, on your electronic truck, when it's really cold out and you're going along, do you have white steam or smoke coming out the stock? Or is it always clear? Seems to be it's always clear. I can tell you in Wyoming, when it's down around zero, you can see there's always white steam or white smoke coming out the stacks of new trucks. You know, I'll, I'll jump in with, with one answer. I know this isn't the whole answer. Leroy, you could probably help us with what's going on with electronics and temperatures and all that. But one factor we don't think about a lot is look at the difference in insulation between a current truck built today and one that was built when we had mechanical engines. The insulation was horrendous. There was almost none. They were loud inside. They were cold. So one factor is we're just, we're insulated so much better than we used to be when we had mechanical engines. But Leroy, there's probably something going on here with electronics, right? Uh, as, as far as like engine temp, you mean? Yeah. Like cold temp? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot more things that you can sort of control and ways you can build heat uh, versus what you don't have with a mechanical. So with a mechanical, you really only had control over how much fuel you put in and when. Um, and even some of those parameters were lost. Uh, you know, go too far because you were camshaft limited as far as when you could put fuel in or when you cannot put fuel in. Um, but new engines you have with VGT turbos, you can... Uh, put the engine under more load. Uh, they have throttle valves. They have um, different timing modes that can switch in between things. And with common rail, you can put post injections in and pilots. Um, just electronically, you have a lot more degrees of freedom as far as building heat in the engine. Aren't we also... Um, that's one big component. Aren't we also electronically controlling oil temp, engine oil temp? Um, no, 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 there's no heater on so, or anything like that. It just so, absorbs heat from. So Dan, here's, here's something else I mean, to think what? about when we had mechanical engines, our mindset was always keep them cool. Heat was always the enemy. Don't oh, yeah. let that engine get too hot. It, it takes life away. Keep it cool. That's not the case anymore. Yeah. It's the opposite now. We're trying to keep these engines hot. If they get too cold, we start having emissions issues. That's why we talk about, you know, if you spec a truck wrong and you're running at too high of an RPM all day long, you're going to have more emission problems because you, you lose heat that way. We want heat to stay in these engines. Okay. I mean, and, and there's other things that they, they can do as far as they can vary the speed of the water pump on DDs. Um, you know, they can do stuff like that. There, there's just a lot more things that they have control of now. Well, a lot of what you're mentioning doesn't necessarily apply to me. My electronic engine's a 6NZ, so a lot of the... Keep in mind, the old mechanical engines, they didn't monitor much. So, I mean, if, if right. it ran hot, it ran hot. On the electronic <laughs> engine, even like yours, they can monitor oil temp, water temp, air intake temp. If any of those start to rise, okay. they can start cutting it back before anything happened. 
on a mechanical engine, you know, unless you were watching a gauge, it would, you know, you could, it would cook itself. Yeah. Um, with well, yeah. the exception of running a, a Kaiser shutdown system, which most trucks did not have. So there's nothing to really monitor that temperature other than a driver paying attention to the gauge. I mean, one, one question would be why, why did they use the one to put winter fronts on things? Is they just, the big cams couldn't they wouldn't make heat. They couldn't make it. Why couldn't they make heat? Just, well, they had a big cooling capacity, big radiator. A lot of times the fans, I mean, keep in mind, it wasn't just a mechanical engine. The fan systems weren't as good. Some fans were locked on all the time. So they constantly ran. I mean, they were locked on all the time. Yeah, I could see that. But. Yeah, the older yeah. engines just did not make um, Now, on my 89 T600 that had the big cam 4 in it, it, it was warm. Jeff Nelson just sent me a message. He has the truck. He said it's very warm in the winter. So, and I, I, I never ran a winter front on that truck either. Yeah, I think winter fronts are just overall just bad ideas. I mean, especially for the charge air cooler. I mean, they hate those things. Hey, Leroy, I will tell you there were times where they were lifesavers. <laughs> like you would, I was scraping ice off yeah. the inside of the glass while you're driving. That's how cold it was inside that truck. I mean, yeah, if you're, if you're at that sort of position, Right, but. right. That's when we use it. Leroy, when it's 20 below zero, when it's 20 That's below right. zero and you've got white smoke coming out the stacks, you need a winter front. That truck has to cool itself off when it's 110 or 115 in Vegas, um, but then also make heat when it's 20 below in Minnesota. Right. Yeah, it's a, a That's a big range. Yep. Okay, yeah. I'm Stutter or um, shutter stats on stuff. I remember some old trucks had that. Yeah. Because the sooner the engine warms up, the more efficient it becomes. Right. And then open it up when you're driving. And then when you're at um, night, if you have to run the truck, close them. There's absolutely no need for it to be on. Right. Shutter stats. Remember shutter stats, Kevin? I do. Boy, I haven't heard that in a long time. Yeah, they were a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks for the call. We are heading off to Iowa this time. Chad, welcome to the program. Oop, let me try that again. Hold on. Chad, go ahead. Have... Yes, there you are. I've used the fleet air filter for a million and a half miles now between two trucks. The first one was, I think, 1.3 million miles, and it was a 386 Pete, which had the three wraps on one canister filter. And I never had an issue with that filter. It always came back between five and eight parts per million on the silicon. When I moved to this 579, it's got one, one layer inside there a little thicker. And right off the bat, I started seeing silicon higher than I wanted to see. So I've been doing some testing lately. Not done with it yet, but I wanted to point guys in a direction that I think might be a weak spot. Um, first of all, what I did is I had to, I learned right away, I had to cut my intervals or my cleaning intervals in half when it went to one layer. Yeah. And I started off at 30 to 35,000 and that wasn't enough. I was still in the teens, 11, 12, 16, something like that. I've recently gone to 20,000 and in the first sample, it went down to seven. Okay. So that's where I'm at right now. But the other weak spot, I think, I've, uh, is a possibility. Anything with the with the filter restriction gauge. 
that's after the filter, they usually connect those. Instead of using a compression fitting, they use a push connect, a quick connect fitting. That's just a quarter-inch airline and a restriction valve, and it's a vacuum back there. If you start plugging your filter a little bit, it's going to start trying to suck through there, and if that push connect is leaking, you're going to draw you're going to draw dirt through that backside, and that's just a a quarter pipe inlet on the on the backside of the filter housing. Guys might want to check that for a weak spot as well. Ah, good good tip. Yeah. See, this is good valuable information when they had to build some of these new goofy weird shaped filters and all that, but. Uh, you know, the way this other thing happened where no oil samples, no communication, just all of a sudden we needed an engine and we want you to pay for it. And I didn't hear that part. I'm, I'll listen to it on the replay because the stream wasn't coming through. But if I can change subjects, I talked to uh, Pete and Leroy the other week about changing the, the DPF on this and I had the crack in the DOC. Uh, this is a a plug for the max mileage. I was really happy when I took everything apart. Um, the crack in the DOC was just on the outer shield. It's all stainless. So I just welded that to look nice again. But when I pulled that off and looked at the face of the DOC, yeah, there's soot in there, but it was, it looked really good. I was super happy that there was no plugging in there whatsoever. The backside of the DOC was super clean, little red tint that I guess is normal with the max mileage. But, uh, like I said in that call, that DOC is $6,000 if anybody has to replace it. And I was thrilled with the, with the condition it was in. With that, speaking of the catalyst, this week we got two testimonials from people with old Volkswagen Jettas with the diesel engine. Now, these things are getting pretty old, and they said, wow, did it make a difference and bring it back to life? And one guy does have them. EGR system and his check engine lights went off on it, and so um, the Volkswagen Jettas with the diesel are are loving the catalyst. Okay, well now I've got two DTFs. The other one's out. It's definitely a candidate to to be cleaned. I'm going to do the DPF alternatives, and I want to see the flow test. But I'm happy that uh, that that old one's still in good shape too, and I can I can swap them out and save the downtime. That's good. Anyway, thanks, guys. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to West Virginia this time. Randy, welcome to the program. Hey, I want to compliment Pittsburgh Power on I ordered a, a gallon of Catalyst Thursday afternoon at 1 o'clock. I got home Friday evening, and it was sitting on my porch. There you go. Where do you live? I live in Beckley, West Virginia, just outside of Beckley, Shady Springs. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I could have walked it. There, I could have walked it to you that fast. No, you couldn't. You're right around <laughs> the corner. That well, that's true. <laughs> that's right. You're right. I'd be and, lost. I'd be lost in the West Virginia wilderness. Yeah, buddy. I'll tell you one thing. I have learned so much from your show, Kevin, and. Health, health wise and truck wise. Good. My boss told me the other day that my truck had the best fuel mileage in the fleet. Awesome. So awesome. Yeah, we love that. I just want to. That has, to, that has to make you feel good when you hear stuff like that. Well, I, I'm, I'm really, really, really hooked on y'all. I'll tell you that. Good. Good. Thanks for the All right. support. All right. All right. Kevin, 
Go ahead, Bruce. Kevin, I don't, I don't call you and tell you, but I get, uh, I probably talk to one or two people a week that are now healthy that weren't healthy because they changed their diet and following your diet. I love that. I love that. Um, Tomorrow, speaking of which, since we're about to wrap this up anyway, in tomorrow's Destination Health, they have one of my favorite guests coming back, Joel Salatin from uh, Polyface Farms. Um, Bruce, are you familiar with Joel? No. You would like him. You would like him a lot. He's a really interesting guy. Travels all over the world. He's known all over the world for kind of, he's like the grandfather of regenerative farming. He's got about 100 acres over there in the Shenandoah Valley and um, just incredible how much food he produces. And he says all that he does, he says all he is is a grass farmer. He grows grass and the animals do everything else. But he has a real farm. grass. Yeah, because so grass too. Yeah, yeah. So if you watch, if you see how his farm operates, it's just incredible. I mean, he's written books about it. But so the cows go out there. His father um, invented a movable electric fence system for the cows, so they can move them every single day. That fence gets moved, and the the cows get moved onto new grass. When the cows go through, they cut the grass down to a certain height. They don't want them eating any more than that, so they move them onto a new pasture. Then they bring in the chickens, and the chickens go through and pick out the bugs from the dung, and they they do their job, and then the pigs are out there in the forest doing their thing, and uh, he basically brings in nothing. I mean, the farm regenerates itself. He just grows grass. So where's the vegetables? Uh, he is a uh, his isn't he has a garden a pretty big garden that that's more of a personal thing but the farm itself raises animal products beef chicken pork eggs that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah, so he'll be on tomorrow. He's always uh, always an interesting guy. But he doesn't feed his animals anything other. They just grow. Yeah, he said the only thing, he doesn't bring in any kind of fertilizers. He doesn't bring in any kind of insecticides, no fungicides, no herbicides. He said the only thing he brings into the farm, the only input, the only supply he has to buy is a little bit of supplemental feed for the chickens in the wintertime. That's all they bring in. Everything he has no real cost. One of the things we're watching right now, um, with all these shortages going on in the food system, beef went through the roof. It's really expensive. Eggs now are outrageous. The funny thing is, all this meat and high quality stuff we've been buying for years. We've been saying you shouldn't be buying that factory farmed meat and eggs. None of the prices have gone up on this stuff. Because they, none of their cost went up. They don't have any cost. When you run a regenerative farm like this, there are no inputs. So their cost hasn't changed. I mean, I, I have local people when, when regular eggs were $2 a dozen in the grocery store and I was paying 6 for local eggs raised the right way. Now the grocery store, they're seven dollars a dozen. The local, really high quality eggs are. I'm still paying six dollars a dozen. Nothing changed. 
Yeah. All right. What's that? What state's he in? Uh, He's in the Shenandoah Valley, Virginia. Not that far from you guys. I was I was heading to his farm when I uh, blew my uh, all those boost leaks and had to come back to Pittsburgh. That's where I was headed to. Mm. Yes, they don't get a whole lot of snow, so his winters will be a lot, little bit more more pretty mild. mild. Than ours here, yeah, pretty pretty mild. Yeah, um, just uh, it's, like I say, just a, a really interesting guy. He gets pretty political sometimes, but. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. All right, we talked ourselves into another call, so we're going to grab it. The show may never end if we keep this up. Doug, welcome. Good, good morning, Kevin and crew. Uh, just wanted to uh, relate to you uh, what a difference a, your driving style can make. A uh, couple of qualifiers: 2015 T680. ISX 15 liter, 10 speed overdrive, 325 rears. Lifetime fuel economy, 8.63. In the winter, I generally see my fuel economy drop to about 8.1. Over the past two weeks, I've gotten a little more proactive and a little less lazy. Cruise control now stays turned off. I drive by my foot and the boost gauge. I don't pay attention to my speed. I pay attention to the boost gauge. I keep that boost under 10 PSI. For the last two weeks, my average is 9.4. <laughs> kind of amazing what that uh, little gauge will tell you, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I've watched my speed drop as low as 45 miles an hour and I have to drop a gear, but you know what? So what? 9.4 miles a gallon? If I slow down to 45 because I'm going up a hill, I slow down to 45 because I'm going up a hill. <laughs> well, so, uh, I, I say you can still use fire to go you can still use fire to go up the hill. It's, uh, it's on the level on the long uphill grades that you got to watch that boost gauge. Yep. The best advice I can give to other drivers, don't be lazy. Turn your cruise control off. Yep. Cruise control, is a, it robs you of fuel mileage. Big time. And that's all I got. All right. That's okay. all we need. And we are going to wrap this one up this time. We will see you back here tomorrow. And we'll be back again with the Power Hour next week. Be safe. Be profitable, be fit and healthy, always do the hard work and master the journey.